Hey guys, well, as you may know, um, this year I've challenged all of you to read through the New Testament this year and read a chapter each day, just sort of as a, an exercise in our faith. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And that is not just first day faith, like when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, but also ongoing day by day by day faith in Jesus Christ and walking with him. Uh, our faith will shrivel up apart from reading and hearing Scripture and reading and hearing the Word of Christ put into our lives. And so that's behind this challenge to read through the New Testament this school year. Um, there's almost an identical number of chapters in the New Testament. Uh, if you go from the first day of class to the last to graduation in the spring, there's almost an identical number of chapters in the New Testament as there are uh, days in that school year. There's only one or two chapters different. And so my challenge is for us to read through the New Testament this year just as to, to build our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it also serve as um, what we can discuss when we gather together week by week in our missional community groups. And so what I intend to do with this podcast is, is basically to just help you, if you so desire it, to think about some things that you can see in each chapter of the New Testament. So day by day, as you read the chapter, I hope that as you um, open this podcast, you can see some, some uh, good things in the podcast to help you uh, benefit from it. So if you read a chapter and say, I just don't know what to get out of that or, or something, you could listen to this podcast and maybe something I say will help you. And so that's the aim. And so here we are at day one, and I hope that you've already read Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one may not be the most riveting of chapters to you. I mean, the end of it is pretty cool because it tells us the birth of Jesus Christ and uh, the angel visits Joseph and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And, and all of that is a very uh, dramatic ending to the chapter, but the bulk of the chapter is just a genealogy. It's a list of names. And you might be thinking, uh, it, what, what can I get from a genealogy? Is that something I can just skip over? Is there anything beneficial to a list of names? Well, just think that later in the New Testament, uh, in 2 Timothy 3.16, we're told that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. So right there, God tells us that we can even profit from the genealogies. And here's just... Uh, I want to focus on the genealogy because that's the most difficult thing perhaps to you in this chapter is what can I get out of the genealogy? It's not hard to, to apply the angel telling Joseph, you'll call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. I mean, the, the truth conveyed there is pretty apparent. But what truth is being conveyed in this list of names? And I want to offer you three simple truths that you could find in that genealogy. And the first truth is this, and you may not be surprised by this, is that God is sovereign. Just think about it. Can you imagine all the details and events that the Lord had to orchestrate and manage throughout all of those generations 
for all those people to be born just when they were to just those parents so that at just the right time, the Lord Jesus Christ would be born to save his people from their sins. And the Lord orchestrated much of this in a way that was clearly his sovereign hand. One example we see right off the bat is the mention of Abraham and Isaac in verse 2. Think about that Genesis story. In the Genesis story, Sarah had not given Abraham a child. She was 90, 90 years old when God made a promise to her that she would bear a son. You can read about that in Genesis 17. And despite Sarah's doubts, Isaac was born, just like God said, Genesis 21. And I don't have to tell you that a son being born to a woman that advanced in years would be unlikely to the natural order of things. But Genesis 21, 1 through 3, makes it clear that this was the sovereign hand of God at work. This, and, and, and that's pertinent here because this is in the chapter of another unlikely birth when the promised Savior was here born to a virgin. That, and the, the, even the prophecy of Isaiah 7:14 is mentioned in verse 23. So God is sovereign. That's one thing that you can glean just from this list of names. And if he is sovereign at all, he is sovereign over your life. And that's not something to fear, but really it's something to rejoice in and find rest and peace in. That's one truth. God is sovereign. But here's a second truth that you find in, in this list of names. That God is not only sovereign, but he's faithful to his word and promise. So if you're looking at your Bible, at this, at this genealogy, it, it, and it's, it's really apparent as, in the way that it's even laid out in your Bible, it's kind of broken up into three major sections. So beginning in verse 2 through the first half of verse 6 is the first section. Uh, and then... And, 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 then in the second section begins in the second half of verse 6 through verse 11. And then the third is verses 12 through 16. Yeah, verse 16. And in each section, we see a good example of God being faithful to keep his word. So, for example, in the first section, verses 2 through 6a, you might say, the example again is God's promise to Abraham and Sarah that they, that, that they would bear a son even in their old age. Again, Genesis 17. And despite Sarah's doubts, God kept his word and Isaac was born. That only, only shows God's sovereign power, but it shows his faithfulness to his word and promise. That's the first section. In the second section, in the second half, 6b through 11, uh, David is now the prominent figure in this section. And in the Old Testament, God made a promise to King David that not only would he be king which in fact he became but also that someone in his line his descendants would sit on the throne forever see that in several places second samuel 7 verses 12 through 14 first kings 9 verses 4 and 5 psalm 89 verses 3 and 4 but here in matthew 1 verses 7 through 11 we see these are the names of king after king in David's line on the throne. But verse 11, if you look there, reminds us that that line of kings ended temporarily 
because of Israel's Babylonian captivity, which we read about and studied all this past summer in the book of Daniel. Verse 1, however, if you look back up at verse 1, reminds us that Jesus is that son of David who is the fulfillment of God's promise to David that a king would rule and reign forever and ever in his line. Now finally, in the third section, verses 12 through 17, it shows us that God would fulfill his promise to bring Israel out of captivity and send a savior. You can see promises of God to bring his people out of captivity in Micah chapter 4, verse 10, and Micah 5, verses 2 through 4, bring them out of captivity and a savior to come. And in Matthew 1, verse 12, we see the fulfillment of that promise that captivity would not be forever. It begins by saying, and after the deportation to Babylon. And verse 16 culminates in the birth of Jesus, who is the promised Savior. At every point in, in this, uh, as this genealogy makes it clear, when God made a promise, he fulfilled the promise. God always keeps his word. Read the Bible for yourself. Where the Lord ever makes a promise, for example, Romans 8.28, um, that all things work together for good. You can trust that promise. You can take it to the bank. The Lord has never failed to keep his word, and he will never fail to keep his word. It's like, I love the, the old hymn, Only Trust Him. It says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord." So there's a second truth. God is faithful to his word and promise. First truth was God is sovereign. Second truth, God is faithful to his word and promise. And the third thing you can see uh, is that God is merciful and gracious. So this is the last truth I want us to see in Matthew 1. And I think this, this truth shows up most clearly in the fact that Jesus' genealogy, to be quite frank, is filled with a bunch of shady characters. <laughs> Abraham, verse 2, was not a perfect man. I mean, he was a pagan who worshipped other gods before the Lord called him to worship him and walk in his ways And at the end of Genesis 11 and beginning of verse tw chapter 12 in Genesis. Jacob, in verse 2, was clearly, I mean, read the Old Testament. He was a, de a deceptive man. And he advanced himself in his life through deception and dishonesty. Just, for example, read Genesis 25 and the chapters that follow. Tamar is in this list. Bore children to Judah, verse 3. Remember that story. She bore children to Judah as a result of her disguising herself as a prostitute in Genesis 38. Then you got Rahab mentioned in verse 5, who was a prostitute. Read that in Joshua 2. And Ruth, in verse 5, was a Moabite woman whom the Lord used, even though she was not an Israelite, one of God's chosen and special people. But here she is in the line of Christ himself. David, in verse 6. Even though he was described as a, a man after God's own heart, Acts 13.22 and 1 Samuel 13.14. Even though he also sinned greatly by committing adultery with Bathsheba and arranging for her husband Uriah to be killed, 2 Samuel 11. Almost all the kings in verses 7 through 
11, those descendants of um, David, were wicked men. But Matthew 1 reminds us in this birth of Christ that God is merciful and gracious and he is ready to forgive sinners and use us for his glory and for our good. Hallelujah.